Welcome to another exciting episode of Practice What You Teach, a weekly teacher podcast. My name is Mr. Heron. I'm joined with my two phenomenal co-hosts, Mr. Lumpkin Yo. and Mr. Moreland. Hello. And today we are joined with a special guest that we have not had an opportunity to be around, but it is the audacious, the autistic, and the amazing Ms. Wenger. Hi, everyone. Ms. Wenger is a lovely art teacher here at Manassas Park High School, and she's going to be hanging out with us for a little bit. So we're going to get right into it. We're going to have some catch up from our last episode. We're going to talk about some results from not really a poll, but we did ask for submissions. Spoiler alert, we didn't get that many. We're going to then talk about some quick news. We had a great news coming out of the cross country team, so great good news to them. And then we're going to have an interview with Ms. Wenger and our burning question of the week. So I just want to catch up with everybody. Mr. Lumpkin. We didn't get to meet last week, but we do get to have this week and maybe some podcast business later. But we're meeting this week, and how are you doing? Right now, I'm doing okay. It's been a rough week. I don't know what it's been going around the school because we've had so many teachers out and students out as well. But I'm feeling the pain. I'm trying to keep with it and powering through as best I can. But at least I found out that I um, it's nothing chronic, hopefully. Well, I, there is something nasty going around. I got it last week. And I'm glad I don't have it now. Mr. Moreland, how are you doing, sir? And what's going on in your neck of the woods? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just getting ready for the second semester. I was showing Mr. Lumpkin all the new things we're going to be trying out with uh, the new classes we're set up to, to teach. So, you know, just getting everything ready for that and trying to get a little bit of a break over the weekend to refresh, you know, my batteries and uh, get started on Tuesday. Awesome. I can't wait. Ms. Wenger, how about yourself? I know we've never had you on before, but we're excited to have you. How have things been going for you this last week of the semester? Feeling pretty exhausted. Uh, I feel like this week definitely drained me with finals and assessments and, you know, starting the new semester next week, trying to gather everything, not have enough time, you know, it's crunch time. So I'm pretty tired. Well, you're going to get a half day tomorrow and then the weekend. And then on Monday, we've got teacher work day. So you're going to get enough time to get at least a couple of moments of rest in. She's very excited. You guys can't see her, but she's very excited about this. I do want to go right into our Twitter expert, Mr. Moreland. Last week, we asked the question, what are you looking forward to in 2020? What did we get from the people? We got no response. That is not what we were looking for. But that's so just but to put it out there. Go two ahead. people liked it. That's awesome. I'm like, why did you like the post, but you didn't respond? Well, we're going to have to get more people to like our our Twitter page. Miss Wenger with you on. We're definitely going to get that Twitter bump. Our Twitter account, just so that everybody knows, is at PWUT podcast or P what? at P what podcast. You can always get us there. Mr. Moreland is on top of things and we will definitely be keeping an eye out. I wanted to go directly into some sports news. Basketball season is in full swing. We will be having another couple of games this week and we may even be making the playoffs. So stay tuned for more information on that. But because Miss Wenger is here, she is the wonderful coach of our cross country team. And I wanted to ask her, has anything excited, exciting came out of the cross country team? Uh, yeah, so today, um, one of my seniors, Anthony... Today being the 23rd. Today being the 23rd, uh, Thursday. Yes, ma'am. If we all forgot. Um, one of my, my senior, Anthony Ponce, um, Mexicano, he just signed off to um, go to Everett University. 
Yep. Which, if nobody knows, and I did not know, um, it is 30 minutes north of North Carolina in Danville, Virginia. It is. my. Uh, so my wife has been in several weddings. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the weddings that she was in, it, it, her, it was a friend of hers. They grew up together in the county she grew up in. And he went to Everett College. So I am familiar with the school. It is a very small school, but it is a wonderful college. And Danville is very beautiful all times of the year. Mr. Lumpkin, that's not far from your neck of the woods, right? I, well, it depends on, oh, that's my bad. That really depends on which way you're going to look at it. It's not very far from where I went to college. From uh, Roanoke College, right? From Roanoke College, yeah. From where I actually lived, like near Richmond. Yeah, it's a little bit more like. I can see that. Yeah. So I do want to get right into our news stories of the week. And uh, Mr. Moreland, I know you had a great news story. I wanted to start there. <clears throat> All right. Well, if you guys didn't know, uh, there was a gun rights uh, protest in Richmond. I believe it was uh, Monday, Martin Luther King Day. It was on the 20th. That's correct. Yes. And that's not what the story that I'm going to tell you guys about is about. Or it is technically. So they protested. Uh, there's a lot of new laws that are being uh, considered by the new Virginia government about guns and so these people went there to protest and you know try to promote the second amendment and you know right to bear arms but that's not the story the story is after the protest was over they cleaned up the area they cleaned up the capital and some of the people who live there said it was actually cleaner than they've ever seen it before so it was actually a surprising thing everybody was kind of shocked that uh, these protesters came but then instead of leaving and leaving all their garbage and trash behind they actually not only cleaned up, but they cleaned up stuff that was already there when they got there. So it just goes to show that sometimes, you know, you don't expect things to happen the way that they do. Sometimes you think people are going to come and make a big mess. It's going to be a lot of people, a lot of, uh, you know, trash left behind. But sometimes people are actually more responsible than uh, you think. So if you do plan to protest for any issue, pro or con, no matter what, I would just suggest that you do the same thing that they did and clean up after yourselves before you leave. Because it'll make people actually think about a lot more about what you're trying to say than if you just make a big mess when you leave. So. That's great news to hear that they went out there and left the place better than when they found it. Mm -hmm. Mr. Lumpkin, I saw that you had two news stories. But it seems like you might have settled on one. What you got this week? Well, I didn't want to bother anybody with all the, the possible gourmet ice cream made of bugs. So... Yeah, let's move on to a different actual story that's more of my wheelhouse. Sorry if I tempted anybody with a, a story. About I've got to know more about the ice cream. I say we go back to the ice cream. Okay, fine, fine, fine. No, so, no tell, tell, us about, tell us about what you got this week. So, as you guys know, I'm a big paleontology person. I used to work in a museum, so fossils and looking at dinosaurs is a big part of my life. It's still a big part of my hobbies, my interest outside of being a teacher. And... The fossil record, for the record for, well, things that are dead now and how things came to where they are as far as life goes, is notoriously complete, well, opposite of that, notoriously incomplete. The records that we have for things that lived in the past is based on if they died and then if they got preserved. Everything dies, not everything is preserved. So this past, well, actually it was a couple of years ago, but just recently... A new dinosaur, a feathered dinosaur, by the way, that actually gives a pretty good link between dinosaurs and birds from about 120 million years ago. Good gracious. Yeah, I know. I, it was found and actually identified to be a, a new species out in China. So we've got the, if I can pronounce it correct, the Wulong Bohainensis. Thankfully, they gave it a better name than that because the scientific name is me trouble. The Dancing Dragon. 
it's a gorgeous little dinosaur about the size of a crow or a raven that they've actually found really well preserved to the point where they can see a lot of the articulation in its jaw bones or its uh, facial structure still. Sure. It's a gorgeous dinosaur, and it's giving us more information on how we're linking this tenuous connection between, well, dinosaurs being feathered and their connections to the birds that we see today. It's definitely not the oldest feathered dinosaur that we've ever seen. There's been feathered dinosaurs up to like 150, 160 million years ago, but it's probably one of the most complete and it's nice to see new species still coming out in our uh, ever going search for trying to understand just the crazy thing that is life. That's awesome. Do you think that we'll be able to get more information on this as the years go by? Maybe they'll find other examples, other fossils? Oh, definitely. Considering they just identified the species, that ends up being one of the most difficult parts when you're looking at like new species of dinosaurs is getting that first description down so that when you start seeing the patterns, the shapes, and you see like older individuals or more individuals, you can start identifying them. This guy has been, uh, I think, found like, what, 10 years ago, but it's gone through research from like different groups to different groups. It's taken 10 years from like the actual identification. I imagine now probably in the back room of some museum somewhere that's done work in China, they're like, hey, that looks familiar and we'll get more information. So the one they found that they're talking about here is just a juvenile, meaning that there's probably plenty more out there. So is this your new favorite dinosaur, Mr. Lincoln? The name's pretty cool. And the <laughs> depictions they've given it, I'm into it. It's pretty cool. I like that a lot. Hopefully we'll see them in the next Jurassic World. Mm -hmm. My story for the week, um, this is really interesting to me. I'm going to step away. Normally, you know, I come on here and we talk about quantum mechanics or quantum computers. This week is actually inter indeterminist physics for an open world is the title. And it comes from the University of Geneva. So over in Switzerland, they've been doing a lot of physics research specifically about indeterminate results in physics. So most of what physics is, is we write an equation for things and that'll tell us everything we need to know about a system, whether an object is moving, whether an object is changing, we can write an equation for it. And using that equation, we can get pretty exact information. You put a number in and you get a number out. What they did in Switzerland is they looked at how we've been doing physics and said, what if there's more randomness in these answers? So what if we can do a thing, write an equation, and then not get a determined outcome? So for example, if you're shooting pool, I can make as many equations as I want, but who knows what's going to happen when those when they crash into each other? Same thing with a car accident. There's a lot of forces at work. Who knows what's going to happen? It's more indeterminate than determinate. And so this particular school of physics is looking to get more indeterminate answers into what we have going on in physics. So I found the article very interesting and I'm very excited about this research because I want to see more physics being practiced. And this is a good one that a lot of, I think a lot of our students would gravitate toward if I tell them, well, who knows what the answer could be? Calculate and see what you get. I like that a lot because it gives us this idea like with those really hard physics problems like a car accident, Absolutely. Example, or even just looking at pool. I think it's a lot better for us to be able to have a, a set of or methodology or rather or a way to do things to get an indeterminate answer or get a range for what we're looking for as opposed to like ah who knows it gives us it gives us a maybe it gives us a conclusion that we can kind of start working on I like that I like uh, the idea of having more oh soft that's probably not the right way to look at it more like fluid 
answers when we're looking at problems like this? Absolutely. I mean, one of the examples that we used to have, it's, it's kind of a great physics example that's been around for as long as we've been doing these equations. But the idea is that given enough data, we could write an equation that a sufficiently powerful machine could then predict everything about the universe. The problem with that is we know that if we try to make predictions, we could get them very wrong. And so can this machine because getting infinite data is impossible. So the infinite idea of predicting the future is unsound. So that's why this indeterminacy in our physics allows us to then play with equations, play with the numbers and get answers that are closer to real life than they would be to the strict determinist answer we would get in Newtonian physics. So it's very cool. I like it a lot. The research is amazing. I, I read the uh, actual report, which came out of uh, Geneva. They translated it into English. I don't uh, speak uh, Swiss or excuse me, German. So it's very exciting. Very exciting indeed. But now what you've all been waiting for, Miss Wenger. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to ask you five questions. Is that okay? Yes. So the first question we always ask, where did you grow up? I grew up in New York City, uh, specifically Washington Heights. So it's like the most northern part of Manhattan. I usually tell people to think of the musical In the Heights, and that's where I grew up. So you grew up in, uh, on the island of Manhattan, yes. but all the way at the northern end. Yeah, so very So you could take the to ferry the... to the Bronx if you wanted to. Um, there is no ferry that goes to the Bronx. Uh, I actually could walk across the bridge and go to the Bronx. See, look at yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Geography um, lesson. So yeah. where did you go to school? Uh, high school. I went to um, a school called the Beacon School. And um, it is, it was in a old abandoned warehouse in the Upper West Side, like 57th Street, I think. Okay. Street. Um, and it was right next to a housing project. Um, and it was an alternative high school. It was public school, but it was an alternative high school. Um, the way that like, High school. The way that all schools work in New York City, um, public education is you have to apply to a school if you want to go to the school. Um, you have zone schools, but nobody ever really wants to go to their zone school. Um, and then you only go to your zone school unless it's absolutely necessary. Mm. Um, so you apply to this your schools of choice um, with a portfolio, and they you do interviews with them, and then you get accepted. So um, I got I got accepted to Beacon, and you just like commute. So kids have um, kids like who live in Brooklyn or you know Queens. They go to Manhattan and vice versa, like all around. So you kind of get a good experience of seeing the city. Yeah, totally. Um, where'd you go to um, to uh, after high school? Where'd you go to school? Uh, after. High school, I did my undergrad at SUNY New Paltz. It's about an hour and a half north of the city. Um, really beautiful place. The Hudson Valley is gorgeous. Um, and then I did grad school at City College. So City College of New York. 
It's in Harlem. That's 123rd Street? One, like 138. Oh, excuse yeah. me. So tell me, what inspired you to go into education? My mom. Okay. Probably. Uh, my mom's been a teacher for like, God, I want to say like 35 years, maybe over 35 years. What does she teach? She teaches music. She's a music teacher. Um, she taught in public school. She retired and then she was bored. So she went back to teach more. <laughs> um, my grandmother was a teacher. My I have two aunts who are professors. Um, I have an uncle who's a professor. So I feel like a lot of my family kind of inspired me to teach. And also just like, I had some really good high school teachers that really, I feel like impacted me and helped me like, um, kind of figure out like who I was at like such a uncool high school time. <laughs> sure. What is the role of a school? Um, I would say that the role of the school is to prepare students for the real world by having students collaborate, work together, talk to each other, um, learn skills that they can apply when they have jobs. Um, I think school can also, school, sh another role for school is um, for students kind of just to find their, their spark of what interests them. Cause okay. like, I feel like in school, like there's a lot of different subjects, like a, a student can, you know, can be like interested in at least one of those things and that should be something. Um, but then the role of the school is also to babysit kids while parents go work. <laughs> um, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> as long as you're not explicit, we're, we're here to get honest answers to these questions. And there are times where the school provides for the parents so that, yeah. hey, I still have to work. I still have to provide for this child. So the school provides a place for the child to go during yeah. the day. I mean, school school is also like a safe place for students to go. Exactly. So I feel like this place is better than a place outside. Absolutely. And finally, our last question: What are three books that have influenced you that you would recommend to the student body? I'm having trouble figuring out my third one. We'll give it to two you guys. But um, so the two that I picked, the first one is The Color of Water. Um, it is one of my favorite books. Who's the author on that? James McBride, I think is his last name. Um, it is, am I supposed to say like what it is? Sure, absolutely. Tell okay. us about it. Tell us why um, you like it. Let's... I've read this. I re like read this book like every couple of years. Um, it's the author. It's a, it's a memoir and it is, the author is African-American. Um, he's actually half black, half white. Um, and his mother, it's about 
him growing up with his white mom who is Jewish. And the story goes back and forth to his life, to him growing up, and to his mom growing up. So like um, coming over um, to the United States, being very religious and orthodox, to meeting um, the author's father who is black, to having children, and she ends up having like 12 kids, I think it is. So he has like 11 siblings and just his experience with a mom who is white. And it's just such an amazing book because it really shows his genuine respect and like love Absolutely. for his mom um, and just him trying to understand being um, a biracial person. But obviously his skin color is different than his mother's skin color. Um, it, I just think it's a wonderful book. And the second book is Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, it's just about high school and, you know, just high school experience, friendship, first loves, you know, all the works of what comes with being a, a high school student. A high school student. And it is a lot of work to be a high school student. Yeah. It's exhausting. Um, <laughs> I'm having a really hard time figuring out the third book. There's no rush. There's no worries. I mean, if um, we can go, if you've got two, we'll go with two. Um, I mean, I really like, I really enjoy the book Damien by Herman Hess. By Herman Hess? Yeah. Um, he's also wrote Narcissus and Goldman, but I feel like he's most remembered for Siddhartha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're an English yeah, teacher. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I feel like I've always gravitated towards Damien because it's, it's such a philosophical, <coughs> deep book, which usually I'm not into, but I feel like with Damien, it was so profound and there was so much, like, I had to think so much to understand it that I really enjoyed. I don't know if students will like it though. <laughs> well, we found that, or at least I've been told they do like the book recommendations oh, yeah. because it kind of gives insight into the thinking of our teachers. Maxime, if you're in the building, please come to the main office. Maxime, if you're in the building, please oh. come to the main office. I just remember. What's um, that? It's a, it's a play, Angels in America. Angels in America, we'll add that as well. Yeah. Um, it's a play, but I feel like, I mean, it talks about AIDS, and there's just everything that's it's it's dramatic it's emotional um if you could read the play and then watch the movie um i always think that's a great idea but uh i've i always i always really liked that that play i thought that was a really good play um, but yeah i just i like any anything that kind of connects to some kind of like social issue that's been happening in our world, I think is is really good. Something that you can have a relationship with. Awesome, we'd like to thank you. Those are some great answers. I feel like it's always good to get the insight of the teachers that are here at our school. And uh, for that, that wraps up our interview section. So we're gonna take a quick break 
And then we're going to come back with what everyone's waiting for, which is our burning question. So with that, hold tight. We'll be right back. And we're back to finish where we started, which is our burning question this week. And I, Mr. Morrill and Mr. Lumpkin and I were talking before the show. We actually spoke with Ms. Wenger, who unfortunately could not participate in our question this week, but was a great guest, and we loved having her. Uh, we actually talked about our question, and I thought it was a really good point that Mr. Morrill made about a poem that's titled Finish. And it's a poem. It's written by a poet, and he, he talks about the possibility of us not uh, achieving our great potential. Now, Mr. Morrill didn't want to, but I'm going to ask him to anyway. Would you mind reading the poem for us, Mr. Morrill? No, I wouldn't mind at all. So the, the name of the poem is Finish, and it's a poem by the uh, poet Charles Bukowski. I'm sure if anybody who's, who's familiar with poetry will have remembered that name. Uh, and the poem is, here's how the poem goes, ready? So this is Finish by Charles Bukowski. We are like roses that have never bothered to bloom when we should have bloomed and it is as if the sun has become disgusted with waiting. So we talked about this poem in my English 11 class today. And the question that I asked was, do you agree or disagree that we don't reach our full potential? We don't bloom as it is. Because the poet doesn't say you or I or they. He says we, implying everybody. And so that was the question that we asked. And there was some discussion of, about that in the class, uh, and I thought we'd bring it into the podcast. I think this is a great question. Uh, the question of do we achieve our full potential, it's really an age-old question that you know philosophers have been struggling with. It's always a question of are we getting to where we're supposed to be going? Is where we're supposed to be going determined by ourselves or by someone else? Do we want to go where someone else wants us to go? And I really like this poem because it you know, uses the metaphor, obviously, of the rose to represent ourselves and the sun as society or whomever at large. But my question uh, to the group here is, how do we define potential? From what the, the way the poem seems to be handling it, it seems to be kind of coming at it from two ways. One that's the context and one that I think is more of the subtext. The context is the way that he finishes that, right? He says that the sun has become disgusted with waiting. I think you're on the nose of saying that society. But I think in the act of saying it, the act of saying that we are as these roses, like, that we don't meet our potential. I think that act of saying it and putting it out there realizes that that society, while it can be the one that defines us, as having reached a potential or not, it really doesn't matter as much as opposed to us defining our own. But then that absence of so many other weird doors. Like, how do you define yourself when you've reached your own potential? Or rather, like, your entire potential? Is saying that you've reached your potential like admission of, I've gotten to my peak, man. I'm, I'm done. I peaked in high school. That time on the football team, that was my best. That was what I was meant for. And now I've got another 50 years of just coasting. I think that you've done well in football. Mr. <laughs> and you can go beyond that. I mean, I know you were a big wide receiver, but. Oh, running back, actually. <laughs> I, I, my, my game towards that, the, uh, never mind. I'm done. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll let that bit die. But <laughs> I, I think there's, there's two ways to handle it where we're looking at society defining us as saying when we've reached our potential, and are we looking at society as a whole or are we looking at society the people that we care about? Like, does my mom think that I've reached my potential? 
does my brother, does my friend, does my wife, versus do the students I teach think I've reached my potential? There's a whole different gambit that's very subjective. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I put all this out there without having, without having a good answer to your first well, question. You know, you know <laughs> what? I think that it's the universe or whatever, you know, you want to say is what is looking for us to achieve our potential. Mm. Like we kind of went into the, the realm of like futuristic technology in the classroom. Like I said, what did you guys see on, on TV when you were young that we don't have yet? They're like flying cars. It's like, yeah, it's true. We don't have interspace travel. I mean, we've, we've been to the moon. We we're trying to go to Mars, but that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like Star Trek stuff. Imagine in the 1960s. And now we still haven't really gotten as far as, as we thought we would at this point. You know, things like that. And is it because as societies progress and achieve what we would consider to be developed status, they just taper off and just, you know, kind of, oh, well, that's fine. We all have, you know, enough food. We have enough stuff. We're good. Or should we try to achieve more than that? Should we try to achieve something beyond just comfort? Should we try to achieve, you know, advances in technology, advances for society, advances for humanity? And on an individual level, are you doing the best you, you can do with your life? I mean, a lot of students that we teach, we probably be able to say no. Some we probably be able to say yes. But even the ones that we say yes to, is that really the best that they can do? Or is it just we're saying that because they do better than their classmates? Same thing with us as, as adults, as teachers. Are we the best we can be or are we just better than some people? And we think, well, since we're better than that person, I'm not as bad as that guy. So I guess I'm doing pretty good. That's kind of what I'm thinking this poem is saying. It's like you don't want to be just better than somebody else or the best you can be without having to go through hardships. How do we achieve the best we can possibly achieve? Hmm. And the son saying that he's disgusted with waiting. Well, at least we got the moon still cheering for us. <laughs> I think that's very fair. I, I, I made no bones about how I feel about this. The poem, uh, Mr. Moreland, being the great English teacher that he is, brought a very nice poem, and I think it's a very good poem. It's thought-provoking, and it's indicative of exactly the type of ideas that should be professed in our artwork. I just find it, I find it very pessimistic, and that's what I, I don't like it that it's a, it seems to me to come across as a blanket pessimistic statement. Now, that may not be the case. This is my subjective interpretation, and I'm no English teacher. So I don't know whether or not that's what um, the poet is trying to ask this question. I think it's fair to say it's pessimistic. Charles Bukowski, I would not say, was, was a necessarily a happy, flowery guy. I mean, gotcha. So for me, I, I find it, you know, the pessimism in that question saying that, you know, the sun is disgusted. Well, I find that when it talks about potential and we say this person has so much potential or this person has limited potential or this person has wasted their potential. I find that th that puts that person in a box. I find that if you're looking at people, we have to be mindful that they grow, they change. Growth is not linear for as much as we would like it to be. When you go from ninth grade to 10th grade, you go from 10th grade to 11th grade. You go from 11th grade to 12th grade, and then you graduate. The growth that you experience in those four years is not always point A to point B, point B to point C, and so on. A lot of that growth is haphazard. 
a lot of that growth is against the grain. It's accidental. It's at inopportune moments where you're, man, I, I don't get this class at this time. And then when that semester is over and we transfer from one class to a new class, wow, I remember everything I learned in that class. And it's, it's super easy now. So when we talk about potential, we've got to be mindful that any limit that we put on someone or something or some organization, some entity, it hampers our understanding of that entity. And I think that we have to be mindful that we can't tell people, well, you've got this type of potential because we don't know what they're going to be yet. We are not what we are today. We don't know what we're going to be tomorrow. Again, that, I'm an indeterminist. I think, you know, the future is not written. And I believe strongly that you have the free will to change that future as you so desire. Or if you want to change the future, you can also let the future come to you. Um, and there's something to be said for that. The idea that the sun is disgusted with us, you know, the sun will, as Annie says, will rise tomorrow. <laughs> disgusted at you or not, waiting for you to bloom, encouraging you to bloom. So it makes me wonder if that's really disgust or if it's more disappointment in the moment. Mm -hmm. I agree with a lot of what you just said, Mr. Here, but I would question, do you think sometimes we get in our own way because we kind of reach a point of comfort and we're like, oh, you know what? I could like, for example, millionaires, billionaires, whatever you want to call them that try to like, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, the wealthiest man that's ever lived. Yeah. So if he would have just said, you know what? Amazon is doing pretty good selling books. You know, we're selling a lot of books on Amazon. Let's just leave it as a book selling website. If he would have said that's fine because we already made a lot of money off of that. You know, would he be as rich as he is today? Or do you think that he wanted to go beyond what he had already achieved? You know, like the a whole idea of being comfortable with a certain amount of success or comfortable reaching a certain point and just kind of plateauing there. Or do you think we should constantly be seeking to improve and drive and, and reach even further than what we've already achieved? I think and, and, I, and I don't want to make much of your example. I, I think Jeff Bezos is a great example of unchecked ambition and unchecked potential. And I think that that has been at times some of more of a detriment than an asset. Mm -hmm. I find that Amazon in and of itself is the way that it is because it has been done on the backs of those that work for Amazon. And that blinding ambition has, you know, unfortunate stories of what happens in those warehouses where the people are working all hours and all manner of time and not getting breaks or what have you. It's Hey, we're going to come in and we're going to extract value because we, we want to come in and do no taxes. We want to do this. We want to do that. And it extracts value from a place that they show up to as opposed to bringing value to a place that they show up to. I, you know, Jeff Bezos is so successful. He has more money that could be conceivably spent in a hundred lifetimes. But could what you just said about the whole factory is, could that be not necessarily, I mean, it is Jeff Bezos decisions that lead to those things happening. Eliana, if you're in the building, please come to the main office. Eliana, if you're in the building, please come to the main office. But could this concept also be kind of feeding into that by the fact that the people who work for Amazon and the factories, the warehouses, do not consider that there's another way to make what they need to make. They can have a potential to rise above that position as well. And, they, and then people in, in government can have the potential to be better at governing, to make things fairer and to, to stop people like Jeff Bezos from doing that kind of thing. 
I think there's a lot of factors at play there. I, I, when you're looking at that type of potential. So basically what I'm saying is like because he's willing to go beyond where he stopped. Yes. Is he taking advantage of the people who are more comfortable staying at that plateau? I don't think that's – no, I don't. I, I think his unchecked ambition has been a boon for him. It has been a boon for those – in the same class as him. And I think it has been a boon for the consumer in that the consumer has gotten a lot out of that. Golfing, the, the bridge between the gulf of those two things, there is a also a set of people who that has not been a boon for, that has been a detriment to. Because when he was just a bookstore, yes, his unchecked ambition led him to get, become, I have maxed out my potential, I'm going to go beyond. Well, we have less mom and pop bookstores now. Mm -hmm. Those people have all been hurt because other people could buy books at home. And retail's been affected as well by the Amazon. That's right. Now, I don't know if those are good or bad things, but those are things that have happened. So people have lost jobs. They have, you know, there we have to look at whether or not this has been a net good. And I can't answer that question. I know that the amount of money that he has is more money than has physically been printed and exists in the world today. The amount of money that he's worth mm -hmm. at some point we have to say do you have any plans for this money but to bring it back to the topic at hand should more people try to reach their potential because if that was the case if everybody was really working hard to be as, as successful as they possibly could be in whatever def defining way that that is to them would that be a problem anymore? Because instead of just having one guy doing that, everybody would be doing that. So the inequality you're talking about would no longer be a factor because everybody would be reaching their full potential. If everybody's reaching their full potential and reaching their fullest honest potential, mm -hmm. I think that would be problematic in every which way for the way that our society works. Because if we're looking at everyone reaching the potential that they, they can reach and striving for exactly the potential, there are so many positions that are integral to the way that our society works that would go unfilled and wouldn't that be an inherent problem with the way that society is what I, if your what if your full potential was to come up with the solution for that problem then there's a whole different discussion going because there. i mean it's i guess i have to define it i'm not necessarily saying everybody would be a jeff bezos i'm sure. saying you no, could be the best plumber you could be the best doctor you could be the best auto mechanic but you'd reach your potential in the field that you choose mm -hmm. so that necessarily would not mean that there would be gaps all those gaps would be filled but because of the success of those people they would be fulfilled in their job they'd probably be be making more money because the quality of their work would go up I mean, i'm not talking economics necessarily but it would be a fairer world because the people in charge of the government would also try to reach the full potential of being the most just and fair person in government, the most just and fair lawyer, the most just and fair judge, whatever you want to call it. So the idea would not necessarily be a monetary one, although that's what I use as the example. It would be both in terms of production, morals, economics, all that stuff would be the, the best because the people actually were trying to make it the best as, as opposed to like a few people who take advantage of the fact that not everybody wants to go to the store and get groceries so here's an easier way to do it on the internet does that make sense it's not like they're taking advantage of people's laziness for lack of a better word sure i, I find I, I think your idea is everybody 
does the best they can and gets to their their pinnacle. And I think that's a worthy ideal. But I, I just have this problem with who determines what that is. Because let's say the let's say this guy is the best mechanic. He's the best auto mechanic that's ever been. He fixes cars and he's very good at it. He can diagnose, probably look at it. I know what's wrong with your car. I can fix your car. But what if he wants to be a baker? He's a terrible baker. He's an awful baker. He can't. He puts the wrong amount of flour. He, but he loves baking, and that's his. That is his goal. And I'm talking like he mixes up the salt and the sugar, and you get a salty cake, and you get salty, and you get sweet bread. But he, he's the best auto mechanic. Do we now tell him? I think I've seen that cooking show. Yeah, <laughs> it's the Great British Bake Off. Yeah, it's good. these people. These people who then are the best at one thing. And can maximize their potential in that one thing. But he hates being a car. He hates being a mechanic. Because when he comes home, he's so tired, he can't pick up his son. He's so tired, his daughter, he, you know, who, who let's say she's got a weakened immune system, he can't can't get grease on her because it'll make her sick. She's got a grease allergy. So he hates that job. But that's what he's the best at. So now we're going to tell him your potential is wasted because you want to be a baker? I love the the story you just painted. That is the greatest thing I've ever. So they have this this auto mechanic. Yes. It's like he's cursed, but he's blessed at the same That's time. That's right. His daughter's allergic to the very thing that he works with. Yep. And he can't pick up his cycle. Because he's too tired. Where's his Where's his wife? Is she? How did oh, she she's there. She's she 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 works. She's a teacher. Okay, I'm about to say if she passed away, the, the icing on the cake. No, no, no she's a teacher. A dark story so, all of a sudden. Well, she's she's a teacher, but she's always staying after school to help. Now, is kids. she is she also the best in her class, or is she just? Oh, she's a phenomenal teacher. She's working her way towards becoming an administrator. What subject does she teach? Uh, science. What what branch? Physics. Okay, of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like the idea is, and that's this is the thing. We are fortunate to live in the country we live in because you can choose what you, you want to do and can. you can switch. Like you can be the mechanic at, at 40 and then say, you know what, I'm going to be a baker now. And you can do that. That's right. Uh, and I'm sure you can do that in other countries too. But I know for one thing in, in Germany, you decide what you want to do when you grow up when you're middle in high school. school. Yeah, yeah. Middle school. They Very early. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Right. Because in middle school, they say, well, you're either going to go to high school to, to do the academia, you know, academic track or, or you're the getting work trade. studies. Yeah. Yep. Trade studies. And so I think you should be able to change your mind if you want. I think you should be able to aspire to be the. I mean, the, the whole, you know, theoretical thing I talked about people reaching their potential with the perfect society will, you know, obviously never happen because sure. human nature doesn't allow for that to be the case. But I do think that even if you are the best at one thing, I have a cousin who learned how to cut hair, went to school to cut hair. And uh, my aunt says that when he cuts her hair, you can't even feel him with the scissors. Like It's like he's just not even there. And then all of a sudden you turn around your hair is cut. He That's will impressive. not cut hair. He refuses to cut hair unless it's really? for family. Yep. And he's working, I think he's working in a garage uh, or a prison, actually, a prison guard, something like that, uh, to pay off the student debt he, he got from learning to cut hair. So and basically I, he is the, the subject of my story then. Yes, yep. and I think he actually does work at a prison, which is kind of funny because I, I suggested to my aunt, so, well, have, you, have you asked if you wanted to cut prisoners' hair? I mean, that they could probably do that. They'd probably love it, you know? But uh, that's something that he just says he doesn't want to do. And it's kind of interesting because it's almost like he's like the Batman of cutting hair or something, you know? It's sure. like, I won't cut hair unless it's absolutely necessary, you know? So like... I think sometimes people get in their own way. Like I said, they, they are really good at something. They just don't like it. And that's fine. If they don't want to do it, that's fine. So that's why I think that the poem isn't necessarily about your gift or your innate talent, but about doing what you want to do the best of your ability. 
And I'm not necessarily saying that you have to do what you're good at or you have to do one thing. And I mean, I'm just as guilty as this is anybody else. I just saying that I think that we can all do better. We can all work a little bit harder to achieve more success instead of complaining, which ironically is what the poet's doing. True. So I did. Well, then that, that leads me to a to a procedural question. Does the rose want to bloom? Sometimes they don't. I mean, that's a question we have to ask. If the rose does not want to bloom, then the yeah. sun, yep. the sun can be disgusted. But I've then we're we're the rose could want to stay closed, and then now what? How about this? Ready? I'm ready. A teacher story. Oh boy. To illustrate the point. So, you're a teacher. I am. And you have a class. I do. And you have students in the class. I, I've got all three. And imagine those students are now roses. And you're now the sun. Are they still talking? Yes. Okay. It's like Alice in Wonderland. And you're teaching the students as the sun. And you're like, this is what you do. Blah, blah, blah. And if you do it, you'll get an A. And if you don't do it, you're choosing to get a failing grade or whatever. That's what I say, right? They choose their grades. I don't give them grades. So anyway, end of the year comes around in this semester. Like we just had today uh, for third and fourth. And some students are able to, at the last minute, they had a D or they had a, you know, whatever, and they managed to pull it out and they, they're, they're going to pass the class. And you literally see these little A's and B's and C's and, you know, even maybe an F turned to a D that blooms and it's a rose. And it's like these students are now moving on, right? And then you see a couple of students that you've been working hard to try to get them up where they need to be. And, you know, you've talked to them, you talk to their parents, whatever. And last grade goes in and they have an F. And those are the roses that didn't bloom. Those are the buds. And you as the sun, maybe not disgusted because you understand maybe th some things that they did or the didn't do, you know, the life. reason yeah. why they couldn't do it. Or maybe it just it didn't, didn't rain for a little yeah. while. Yeah. Yeah. And or maybe they just didn't do it because they didn't do it. You know, but you're frustrated because that little rosebud that's been sitting in your class this whole time and you've been trying to get to, trying to reach, is still a rosebud. And that's what I think this poem all means. It doesn't mean that the rosebud is something you don't like. I mean, you still like the rosebud. It's still there. Sure. But you just wish that it could have bloomed. And maybe it will someday. Maybe you won't be there to see it. But you have hope that that little rosebud is going to... That's the more optimistic version of this poem. That's a very optimistic version. And I would like to say what the moral is, is that all of our students are beautiful, beautiful flowers, roses. So I want to go in directly here. Mr. Moreland, last week, we we're going to try, we tried something experimental with our Twitter. We're going to do a new experimental uh, idea here. We're going to do a call to action this week on Twitter. Is that right? Uh, yes, we are... Let's just be honest. We're a little sick of putting polls and only getting like two or three responses. So we had a tie thing. It was an Eminem poll that was the yes, yep. yes. It was high. Yep. It was a tie Eminem poll. Eminem didn't even retweet us. By no. Way. And you know what? I ate some Eminems today too, so that makes me even more sad. So anyway, I'm sure they were delicious. I like to buy the uh, holiday Eminems that are one holiday behind because they're cheaper. So like you know. You so you're still eating Christmas candy? Hey. Okay. I just call it. Red and green. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm guessing come uh, 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 in March we'll be eating 
pink and white ones. Yep. Why not? I mean, hey. I agree with you completely. I bought uh, my dog some milk bone treats, the little mini ones, and they're red, white, and green for Christmas. Yep. And I'm giving her just the white ones for right now. All right. Because then when Valentine's Day comes this month or next month, I'll just give her the red ones. That's pretty smart. Because then she'll have little Valentine's Day. Well, she doesn't know she's a dog, but still. She's colorblind, yeah. so she don't she won't go. <laughs> but then in March, I'll have some green and there you go. So I bought Christmas milk bones on clearance, and now they're gonna span two two more holidays. Now, Eminem, if you're listening, I suggest We know you're listening, Eminem. You do the same thing with your Christmas MMs. Make it instead of just red and green, make it red, white, and green. Same that way idea. we could just pick them out. So why are there no New Year's MMs? You could probably get custom made ones. Probably because like what would they do? Be like blue and yellow? Or I something? have no idea. Champagne flavored. Sure. So what you got this month for the uh this week for the Twitter call to action? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna let Mr. Lumpkin make it up. Oh well. Laying out something for our call to action for this week. Ooh. What do we got? What do we got? What is even going on in the world this week? I would love to live around plant trees. God. There it is. So we want uh, everyone within the sound of our voices to go out and plant a tree. It doesn't have to be a big tree, but go to your local arboretum. Sure. Go to your local arboretum, grab a small tree, find a spot, dig a hole, plant it and water it. Next week, we'll have a new call to action to oh, see how well I have one more in case they can't do that. What's that? Because some students are not able to plant trees. Wouldn't it be more inclusive? Let's be as inclusive as possible. Mm. I'm going to say the next semester starts on Tuesday. That's right. No school Monday. And that date for all of us listening is the 27th. No school at Manassas Park High School. Yes. So my call to action to, for the kids that can't plant trees or, you know, maybe you can do this too. Make a new friend at school. Mm. Great idea. I am. Great, I, you know, I told my students, I said, you guys have friends on Snapchat and all this stuff that you don't even know. That's true. And you're on your phone talking to your friends. I see you in the morning, I'm watching you. And you're on your phone sitting next to students that are right there. Yep. And you're on your phone talking to people on the phone. There's a guy right next to you, there's a girl right next to you who would like a friend and you're not even looking at him. Yep. So make a new friend at school, somebody you haven't met or somebody you don't really talk to a lot. Get to know them a little bit more. And if you don't like them, there's a lot of other people you can talk to. And if you do like them, you have a new friend that you wouldn't have had otherwise. That's also great advice and a great call to action. If you do one of our call to action, let us know how it went at PWUT podcast or P what? P what podcast. We are at P what podcast. And if you do both, come see me, Mr. Lumpkin or Mr. Hare, and we'll give you a sticker. Oh, I was thinking you were going to say you were going to give them some Christmas M&Ms. No, I have some stickers left over from last year. So I'll give you a sticker. It's either going to be a superhero sticker or I think I have some Fox stickers too. Awesome. So with all that being said, I think that's the end of the podcast, gents. What do you all think? I think that's it. Any any final thoughts at all? Anything you want to point out before we go? Even if you didn't do well the first semester, there's always time. To reach your potential. Mm. That's absolutely and, right. And to bloom just like those roses. Just like on. the roses. Kind of said it better myself. Me neither. So with that being said, the English teacher, as always, puts together the best words. We're going to wrap up this episode of Practice What You Teach, which is a weekly teacher podcast here at Manassas Park High School. We record every week, and you can reach us at PWT Podcast or 
P-What? At P-What Podcast. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. But before we go, some quick podcast business. Podcast business. So we're going to do some podcast business. We're going to have a special episode. Tomorrow we're going to record a special impromptu episode of Practice What You Teach. So be be on the lookout for that. That's Friday, the 24th of January. We're going to have a special episode for you. So with all that being said, we're as always, we thank you for listening to us. Follow us online and share us if you can. So thank you for listening. Good night and good luck.